Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, our speaker is Doug Balzer, continuing in our series, Moses, the Hesitant Leader. Doug is an author, was a pastor for many years in our denomination, and currently serves as the Director of Innovation for the Western Canadian District of Alliance Canada. So he calls Southview home. We're really happy to have him with us. Coming up shortly on September 1st, our annual block party. This is a great event to wrap up the summer ahead of students heading back to school. It's open to the community to join in, and we could still use some volunteers. So if you're interested in volunteering and being a part of that event, you can connect with us through Realm or our website. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. You can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast, or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. If you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, hello, church. I was saying to Hannah uh, before the service that every time I see that intro, I feel like I'm in the middle of the interstellar movie, and I think Matthew McConaughey's voice is going to come chiming in through the speaker somewhere. Some of you are smiling, and there are others of you, you have no idea what I'm referring to. Don't worry about it if you don't, want to, if you don't know what I was referring to. Always good to be in my home church. I get to a lot of churches around the province and elsewhere, and it's always a treat to be local with your own peeps. So I I just am glad to be here as we gather around the word. And in a few moments, we're going to gather around the table of the Lord and and remember and receive uh, from the person of Jesus even here in our midst. And we're in this series, Moses, the hesitant leader, Moses, the reluctant leader, Moses, the dysfunctional leader. Sounds like anyone you know? Maybe a little bit yourself, maybe a little bit like me. And last week, Rick Strangway led us in uh, chapter 4, chapter 5 of Exodus, sort of culminating with the question from the Lord to each one of us. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust the Lord? It's, it's easy to say it, but then when the chips are down, do you still trust Jesus? And then in chapter 4, if you have a Bible, paper, digital, you can already turn to Exodus. In chapter 4, that one question that Rick kind of ended on last week, Lord, please send somebody else. Oh, Lord, can you send somebody else to love that difficult person? Oh, Lord, can you give that assignment to someone besides me? Oh, Lord, just send somebody else. It's kind of a bleak point in Moses' life, isn't it? Five times he questions the Lord's assignment. Each time, I don't have what it takes. I can't speak well. I'm giving you a recap of, of the last prior weeks. And all along, Moses is more focused on self than he is on the Lord God. 
And now we all know how it ends, don't we? Maybe some of you who are older than me remember Charlton Heston's movie or some of those who are a little bit younger than me remember the Prince of Egypt. But we, we know how it, it ends where Moses leads the people across the Red Sea and then onto the banks of the Promised Land. So I want to ask the question today, how did we get from, oh Lord, send somebody else to this iconic leader who later on act with great courage and great boldness. And as we ask that question, I think we might find in the pages of Scripture here that God himself has some pathways for us to consider as he wants to shape us. Can we just pause and pray? Lord Jesus, we just confess that so many of us, me included, so frequently feel reluctant and hesitant and fearful. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are in the business of transforming inadequate girls and boys, women and men, into your fierce followers of Jesus Christ. So come, Holy Spirit, access the deeper places as we turn to the word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bible, turn to chapter 5 of Exodus, Exodus 5. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 9, and then 19 through 23. And remember, friends, as we turn to the word, that this is the word of the Lord. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold the festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron... Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy, and that is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. And then jumping forward to verse 19. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. What a feel-good story, hey? (laughs) Moses, the hesitant leader, reading this, you would think, for good reason, because God says, Moses, even though you don't want the job, I'm choosing you to go to people who really don't give a rip about you to lead them out out of slavery against Pharaoh, the most powerful person on the planet at the time. 
And Moses wrestles with God at least five times, and finally he relents. Finally he obeys, and he goes and does what God says. And what happens? It blows up in his face. Moses' obedience results in suffering. And immediately, his deep soul issues are triggered. The fears, the inadequacies, the I don't have what it takes. And he even begins to blame God. I mean, isn't obedience supposed to lead to blessing? Isn't that what we're taught? That's not what we always see in the Bible, though. Sometimes in Scripture, we we come across stories like these, and it's not a hallelujah but it's more of a why. Have you ever asked God, why did that happen? God, I thought I was being obedient to you. Why am I now facing suffering because of my obedience? This is the question for us. And a related question could be simply this. Is your obedience to Christ conditional upon certain circumstances. Is your obedience conditional? It ought to be a real question for Southview, because right on our webpage, um, underneath vision and those sorts of things, it states our aim. And Southview aims to make disciples who, four things, make disciples who know the Father's voice, respond in obedience, Teach others to do the same by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see that right here in the story of Moses. He's hearing the Father's voice, isn't he? God's telling him, go to Pharaoh, say this. He's doing it. He's doing it. He's responding in obedience. But it doesn't have a happy ending. So I'm asking you, if you have made faith in Christ, received faith in Christ, do you have any conditions on your obedience, such as... You may say, I have to understand what God is up to before I will say yes or respond in obedience. Or maybe I have to be able to accomplish it in my own strength without any dependence upon the Holy Spirit. I have to agree with it. Or I can't, it can't put, whatever you're asking me, God, it can't put any strain on my relationships or my resources. Or maybe it can't cost me any money. It can't impose any inconvenience. It has to guarantee blessing, and that has to happen immediately. See, whenever the Lord puts something in front of us, some some command, some directive that stretches us, predictably, our deep soul issues come to the surface. For some of us, it goes back to childhood days, feelings of rejection or inadequacy or fear, Maybe for some of you, you lived under an authority figure in your life that was, that was cruel and abusive in one way, and those start to bubble up again. And that was true for Moses, all of his soul issues. But interestingly, Moses does choose obedience. So keep your finger here in chapter 6 and flip over to chapter 14 of Exodus. And so now the people have left, the 10 plagues have come and gone, the Passover has happened, and uh, Pharaoh has said, get out of the country, and the Israelites pillaged Egypt. They were sent with riches, and they're rolling down to the shores of the Red Sea, and then Pharaoh has a turn of heart. Many of you know the story. 
And he's now having regret because his free labor army has now left the country. And so he, um, he issues an order for his army to come and cut them down and to bring some of them back. And so now Moses is facing either drowning in the Red Sea or mass slaughter by Pharaoh's army. And you know what Moses, the former reluctant, hesitant leader says? In Exodus 14, do not be afraid. Sounds like a different guy, doesn't it? Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It's almost ironic that Moses says, you just need to be still. You just need to chill. He was the guy that was not the chill, standing still guy. He was a guy, but, 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 but not me. I, I can't speak. Send somebody else. So can we ask the question, what happened? What happened between please send somebody else and Moses saying, just stand and watch the Lord your God come and deliver you. Well, I'm glad you asked the question because I'm going to answer the question. And it's found in chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 1, and then verses 6, 7, and 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Verse 6, therefore, say to the Israelites, Moses, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty hands, acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Amen. Well, with my emphatic speech, you probably picked up on the emphasis I'm trying to make. It's not about Moses, is it? It's not about Moses' personal strengths, his skill set, his background, his power. It's not about that at all. It's about I will. Eight times God says in that passage, eight times God is saying to Moses, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. And what's your part, Moses? You will know that I am your God. And so many of us, we want to see that kind of power of God, don't we? Don't we want to see the power of the risen Christ intersect our own lives, our families, our neighborhoods, our friends, our workplaces, our city, our country, and our world? Am I the only one? I'm the only one. Do we want to see that? Is there a church here? Amen? It comes at a price. And many times on a Sunday morning, we may be singing, reading lyrics on the screen, come and change my heart, oh God. And then when he puts a matter of obedience in front of you, and it seems to blow up in your face and result in suffering, make no mistake, God is answering your prayer. He's changing you. 
from the reluctant, hesitant Christ follower to the one who can stand in the face of evil and darkness and say, be still. I know a guy, and his name is the Lord God Almighty. So I want to just take a look in chapter 6 here. And I've pulled out, ironically, three things, because that's what preachers do. I'm sure there's more than three things. But three observations that I made, I'm making, that Moses was experiencing, and I'm pretty convinced is a predictable dynamic in all of our lives from time to time. So the first thing seems obvious, but it's simply this. God is freeing people from slavery. Well, duh, thank you, preacher boy. That's the whole point of the story. But God always does something much more deep and more beautiful than what you read just on the surface. He's not just freeing perhaps millions of Israelites from slavery to Pharaoh. He's freeing Moses from slavery. And Moses wasn't one of the slaves. It was the deeper issues for Moses, his emotional slavery, his slavery to fear, his slavery to inadequacy, his slavery to self-condemnation, his slavery to, you just fill in the blank. We don't, we don't know him intensely well. We're just reading what we can. Jesus still sets captives free. It's part of the gospel. The proclamation of good news, the healing of the sick, the casting out of demons, the freedom for prisoners and captives. Jesus still does this. Where are you a slave? Where are you a slave? It might be to something that might seem obvious to many of us. It could be an addiction. It could be an addiction to substance or to some kind of behavior, some kind of perspective. It, it could be a slavery to having to please other people so you have kind of lost your own sense of identity and who you are. It could be a slavery to condemning voices in your head that scream at you, that torment you. And for some of you, you're not enslaved. Maybe Christ has already set you free. But Jesus is still in the business of setting people free. I'm going to tell a, a brief story, and I could tell it dozens of times from dozens of different people. But in this particular time, a lady about 80 years old uh, came up to me one day. I'm at a conference that I was uh, teaching at. And she, I had been teaching on um, abuse, physical abuse, um, verbal abuse, sexual abuse. And some of the typical symptoms of those things for people who have experienced something like that. And she came up to me and said, I have dreams at night. And I knew what she was talking about because... I had taught that it's not uncommon um, for people who have experienced sexual abuse to have just horrific, tormenting dreams. And all I asked her was, how old were you? I didn't have to um, have her describe the scenario, didn't need to know. How old were you? She says, I was eight years old. And I know that Jesus still sets captives free from torment. And so I just declared a simple thing over her. It went something like this. I said, in the name of Jesus, I bind all of this darkness that torments this 
beloved daughter of the king. And Jesus sets her free from her tormentors. Be gone in Jesus' name. It was no longer than that. And the next morning, she came back, early session, with a smile on her face. And she said, for the first time in 80 years, I wasn't raped in my dreams last night. That's a lot of years where she didn't have to be suffering. That's to, that's to look at it negatively. To look at it positively, Jesus still sets captives free. And if there's some part of your life that you feel enslaved, enslaved to, would you, even when we participate in the Lord's table in a few moments, would your participation of that, would it be a declaration where you were saying, even in areas where I still feel enslaved, Jesus has broken the curse of slavery and receive him as your victor. It may not be the complete journey for you, but it may be an important step. So Jesus is freeing people from slavery, even as God was freeing not only the Israelites, but Moses himself. Second thing, it starts with an F. Sorry, forming identity. God is forming the identity of the Israelite people. If you take a look at verse 7 of Exodus 6, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. See, up until this time, the Israelites had something of a distant relationship with Jehovah God. They were the descendants of the God of, or the, 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 the men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And they had their God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And were, were their, their descendants. It wasn't so material. It wasn't so personal. It wasn't emotive. So God, in the rescuing of the Israel people... He is forming in them not a distant identity, but we are chosen. We are the rescued people. We are the redeemed people. Can you just imagine how their identity would have changed going from slaves to free people in those days? And every time, every time the Lord brings you to a place where he is putting in front of you a matter of obedience, but there's, there's some heat there, there's some resistance, there's some reluctance, and, and the deep soul issues are coming up. Whatever soul issues are coming up, be it fear or insecurity or shame, whatever is coming up, it is that very place where Jesus Christ himself wants to find purchase on fertile soil that you would know him in those dark places, that they would become places of light. But until we face the forging of our faith in fire, there's, there's difficulty to access those deep, deep places. Jesus had to go through something similar. Did you not know? Did you not know that Jesus, Hebrews 5.8, Jesus himself, he who had no sin, who was fully God, fully man, he learned obedience. Wait a minute. He learned obedience? Yes. He did not come out of Mary's womb knowing how to obey intrinsically. He learned obedience by what he suffered. So why would we think we're anything different? No servant is above his master. And when we, as Christ followers, again, 
the framing of what it means to be a disciple at Southview, and I, I so resonate with it. Disciples who know the Father's voice, follow him in obedience. When we are following him in obedience in the tough places, we are moving the position, the place, the person of God in different parts of our soul, different parts of our lives, from God as an accessory to God as our primary identity. And that happens more times than not through suffering. Do you know that you are the loved daughter of the king? Do you know that you are the chosen son of the king? In a few moments when we turn to the Lord's table, maybe for some of you, when you hold in those elements in your hand, you might want to say, Jesus, I receive my true identity as the one who is loved, the one who is chosen, the one whom you always watch over, the one on whom you never fall asleep, the one on whom you know every hair of my head, and that you love more than the sparrows themselves. So he's freeing from slavery. He's forming identity. And last but not least, in the life of Moses, in the life of the Israelites, and in the life of you and I, he is forging faith. No, wait a minute. He's forging persevering faith. There's a difference. He's forging persevering faith. Could jump over to Hebrews 11 and 12. Hebrews 11 is kind of nicknamed the, the Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith chapter. You know, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, so-and-so did that. And in verse 24, by faith, Moses did all these amazing things. And he led people out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. It's just story after story of, of great people of persevering faith. But they all came from broken places, every last one of them. Just like Moses, the hesitant leader. And chapter 12, it's the same context. It's the same narrative going on. And some of the most... Um, for me, um, resonating the words of Scripture. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Friends, that's what you're going through when you're up against the wall with obedience. God is using it to, as a gift to you, as a gift to me to help us Throw off everything that hinders and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Perseverance. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you're going through a why God time of your life, in all likelihood, he's wanting to redeem it. I, I don't believe God caused, he's, he's not the, the center point of suffering in the world. He's not the, the cornerstone of evil or something like that, but God redeems suffering. He redeems evil. He redeems these things to forge in you not mere faith, but persevering faith, where you are compelled to Die to yourself, Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And friends, we are in a day and age where God is wanting to raise up 
women and men, young and old, who do not merely have faith in Christ, but persevering faith in Christ, so that we would be recipients of the kingdom of God and that we would be transmitters of the kingdom of God, bringing light and hope and freedom and healing and peace to the world around us. But it's forged in the fire. It's forged in the fire. Uh, Many years ago, um, my wife Terry and I became uh, lead pastor at a little church in High River, south of here. Even back in those days, whenever we would have an off Sunday, guess which church we would come to? We'd come to Southview on James McKevick Road. I've always loved this place. And uh, we accepted a call to be a lead pastor there. We moved from Fort McMurray. And back in those days, the real estate was much higher in the Calgary area than the Fort McMurray area. And we were young. We were in our 20s. And we realized there's only two houses in town that we could buy. We weren't crazy about either of them. They were fine. But that was all we could afford. All we could afford. And the housing prices were increasing rapidly. And in the, in the hotel room there in High River, I remember Terry and I, we got down on our knees, just like the little kids before bed. And we prayed, God, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. We're saying yes to coming here, but we don't know what to do about this house. And we know that, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ. So we said, Lord, would you give us peace or desolation about making an offer on either one of these houses? And we had desolation. And so we said to the realtor, we're not going to buy any of those houses. And it was hard because we realized we've owned a Fort McMurray, and I guess we're not going to own a house here, and we're going we're to miss the move up. And we thought, I guess that's just going to be part of the price to pay here in High River. Well, then one of the, um, a member of the church came up to me one day, and, and he said, I understand you've been house hunting. I go, yes, we have. And have you found anything? And I didn't want to say we can't afford anything. I said, no, we haven't found anything. He said, well, I was kind of hoping you'd say that because my wife and I, like, I'm a home builder and we'd like to build you a house at cost. If you're interested, I'm interested, I'm interested, let's talk. But the, the point of that story isn't so much the rosy ending. The point of that story is, Jesus, we want to follow you regardless of what the price is and trust you trust you for the outcomes. And if they're a great outcome on this side of the grave, I say yes to you, Jesus. And if the great outcome is until the other side of the grave, I still say yes to you, Jesus. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, friends. He endured the cross for you. He suffered for you. He was put to death for you. He became a curse for you. And part of the reason is that he wants to form in you persevering faith, to be women and men who are not easily moved, not because we're all that terrific on our own, but because his identity has formed us so deeply. And he has set us free from all that hinders. And so even now, in, in an echo, really, of, of Exodus 12, 
after the red, I mean, right before the, the story of the Red Sea, there were 10 plagues. Nine plagues first, and then the plague of the firstborn. And the plague of the firstborn, God says, every firstborn in Egypt, human and animal, is going to die tonight. But he says to the Israelites, if you slaughter a lamb without defect and place the blood on your doorposts, then you, that I will pass over you. This is the formation of even the Jewish people today. I will pass over you. And today when we break bread and we remember the death of Jesus Christ, we remember that we are a people too that are saved from slavery, that are saved from death, that are saved from the curse via the blood of another. So you can take the elements that you have in front of you there. And today we receive and we remember. What do we remember? We remember that Jesus persevered. Thank God that he did. Thank God that he didn't back down. Thank God that he learned obedience through suffering. We remember. But we also receive. And we receive freedom from slavery. We receive sonship. We receive daughtership. We receive even persevering faith because faith is a gift. So peel off the top and take the bread out. And before we partake, just hold on to it a moment. And maybe you would pause and ask Jesus, what are you saying to me this day? Just open your ears to hear his whisper. And then let us eat together. And Jesus also took the cup. It's the blood of the new covenant where the rules are changed. Thank God. And by his blood, you are not a prisoner. And in Jesus' name, even as we receive from him, we declare together that Jesus sets captives free. Amen? Where there's torment, he breaks the chains. Jesus imparts eternal identity as the children of God. And Jesus, we receive that. And we receive in faith. Let's drink together. So Lord Jesus, we are so quickly rendered speechless, but we thank you, we praise you, and we worship you. And we acknowledge that you gave all to us, and in response, we give all to you. King Jesus, we love you, we praise you, we choose to say yes to you in faith. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for the benediction, church? And I guess somewhat inspired by our worship team, I too am going to change the tense of Galatians 2.20. You don't have it in front of you, but I wish to declare it over us, and maybe you would agree with me, that we have been crucified with Christ, the Christ followers at Southview Church. And it's no longer us who lives but it's Christ who lives through us. And the life we now live in the body, 
We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Thanks be to God. Go in peace.